it was quite overnight the like transition to uh, the, it's funny the word famous like automatically my body language is like I, i'm <laughs> tensing up and like wanting to turn into a ball um <laughs> i i have a hard time describing myself as famous at any point in my life but um i think if i like look objectively there was definitely a time in my life in which i was and that was sort of right as camp rock was announced by disney channel when someone asks me if i'm famous i say if you are a very specific demographic then i'm very famous <laughs> It truly went from like being a very normal kid, I mean, to walking through the malls, being mobbed, people dedicating YouTube videos, loads of fan mail, like all sorts of quite um, wacky things began to happen at that point. Toronto was having like the coldest autumn it had had in like 30 years. And because we're filming a summer camp movie, we're outside in summer clothing all day, every day. I was miserable. I was cold. I was ill. I was told that I didn't matter and that I could have been written out. And I ended up having a really difficult time with the director of the film. He uh, said some really quite hurtful and abusive things to me in front of the entire cast and crew on day one. It took me a long time to realize that that's not acceptable. <laughs> like that all of those things. Like the fact and then I and then I just as I like recount all that, I go and I was 17. I was a I was a literal child. And they they didn't give me time off. I would they sent me to a doctor. I was diagnosed with glandular fever. I wasn't given any time off. I was told, "Well, you got to work through it." And the more and more I reflect on it, the more I'm like, I feel quite sort of maternal towards myself. And I'm like, why, why did all these adults, these 50 year old men, directors, network executives, why did they think that was an acceptable choice? And, and then why was I also told that I was uh, an inconvenience or whatever throughout that whole process? Gradually growing up and finding your, you know, your inner confidence and agency and power, but it takes something to realize that that you don't have to be in that power dynamic anymore. Does that resonate? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, yeah, it's sort of brainwashing, isn't it? If you've spent every day being told that these are the people with the power, these are the people who you need to listen to, don't upset them, don't do anything wrong, then you you go along with it, and you, and your your threshold for pain gets higher and higher and higher. You're you're so used to it that like it doesn't even occur to you that there's something fundamentally wrong happening, and it's only one. All of these child actors recently started speaking out um, that I sort of was like, wow, you're right. It's pretty messed up. It'd be messed up if they treated me like that now. If, if the director was, you know, calling me stupid and shouting at me now, I would be upset about it. But I'm even more upset about it when it's a teenager or a child. I think it happens a lot with teenagers, you know? They, we think we're untouchable as a teenager, and it's only when the pain happens that you realize you're not. If, if you could take yourself back in time to meet the 16-year-old Megan and say something in her ear to help her on the journey of the next few years that she's going to be on, what, what would you say to her? I think um, the most important thing to tell her would be to believe in herself. Um, certainly more than she does, and more than she even thinks she needs to, but um, to, to try not to lose the self-worth and to not let anyone take away that self-worth. 
I don't think she would listen to me. I know she for a fact, actually. I know she would not listen to me. She would ignore me. <laughs> but I would tell her anyway. <laughs> My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The Unlock Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their Unlock Moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Today, we have a really special guest. Megan Martin is an internationally renowned actress with a career spanning film, television, and theater on both sides of the Atlantic. Megan trained at Lambda here in the UK and most recently starred in the critically acclaimed London premiere of Smoke by Kim Davies at Southwark Playhouse. What's on stage described Megan's work as astonishing, one of the most exciting performances on any current London stage. On screen, Megan is perhaps best known for her series lead role as Bianca Stratford in the hit TV series 10 Things I Hate About You, as well as guest star roles in House MD, Melissa and Joey, and four seasons of Awkward for MTV. Her film credits include starring roles in Mean Girls 2 for Paramount Pictures and as Tess Tyler in Camp Rock, which continues to be one of the most watched Disney Channel original movies of all time. In 2022, Megan talked about the challenges she experienced growing up as a Disney child star and the pressures put on young actors on a film set. She said, I'm incredibly thankful for the successes and frustrations that I've had in my career, and ultimately I wouldn't change anything other than standing up for myself more. I recognize how much privilege I've had, and it's part of why I haven't spoken out more about the uglier parts, but we are at a crucial point in history where we can acknowledge that not everything is as shiny as it seems, perhaps especially when it comes to the entertainment industry. I'm looking forward to hearing about her journey, her experiences, and the unlock moments of remarkable clarity that defined her and helped her to shape the path ahead. Megan Martin, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the unlock moment. Wow, I feel like, um, can I request that intro like at the start of every day of my life? <laughs> I think my day would start off better. <laughs> okay, I need to make this, I may need to start selling this online. You yeah, know, in, Intros for your alarm clock. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm so pleased that, that you've uh, you've taken the time to, to come and tell your story here. And I think it's a really powerful story that will resonate with a lot of people. So where do we need to start in your journey to understand where you are today? Um, I mean, I think that probably I mean, we could we could start very far back, but for sake of the sake of time, I think I I would say around age thirteen is sort of when things started really changing and happening for me. Um, you know, I think thirteen is a, a pretty pivotal moment in anybody's life, but um, that's also the age I was when I first moved to LA for an extended period of time from Las Vegas, where I was growing up. Uh, my mom and I went to LA for what is called pilot season. Um, didn't really, um, doesn't really exist nowadays, but back then pilot season was the time to get cast in the TV pilots. Uh, so yeah, age 13, my mom and I in a uh, small, not very nice apartment in Los Angeles. Um, I had convinced my parents to take me out there to pursue acting professionally after dabbling in it at a young age, um, doing commercials and stuff. And um, I think that's sort of the moment that things changed. The course of history changed forever for me. And, and what happened? What, what, what did you land at the age of 13 in LA? <laughs> the first thing I booked was a musical called 13 by the composer Jason Robert Brown. Um, yeah, so it was very apropos doing 13 the musical at the age of 13. Um, and it was a great musical. It ended up having a, a really lovely life. I think Ariana Grande was in it on Broadway um, a few years later. And it, it came to the UK, was in the West End. Um, and I had an absolutely incredible time 
but that was only only the first of the musicals that would <laughs> lay my path. And did you have a period of time in LA where it was really challenging or did you land and quickly find some things that started to accelerate you? I think I had probably quite a typical, well, I don't know. I say typical. Nothing is typical in LA or in the entertainment industry. But I was going to say the typical thing of like, it, it, the work comes quite quickly. It happened quickly. And then I sort of hit the wall later on, um, which I think can be hard because you are used to getting jobs. You're used to working. So then when you have that lull in work, it feels really painful and abnormal when actually the norm as an actor, I now know after many, many years, after 17 years, that the norm is not working. <laughs> and what was the point when you started to become famous? Um, so it was, it was quite overnight, the like transition to, uh, it's funny, the word famous, like automatically my body language is like, I, I'm... <laughs> tensing up and like wanting to turn into a ball. Um, <laughs> I I have a hard time uh, describing myself as famous at any point in my life. But um, I think if I like look objectively, there was definitely a time in my life in which I was. Um, and that was sort of right as Camp Rock was announced by Disney Channel. Um, they, Disney Channel, um, I don't know if this is true here, but in the States, they have no adverts at all. So the the adverts that happen during the programs are just for other programs on the channel. So they pretty heavily market their stuff um, to a certain demographic. Uh, that's what I always say. When someone asks me if I'm famous, I say, if you are a very specific demographic, then I'm very famous. <laughs> um, but that was probably about age... I was, I guess I was 15, 16 um, when they announced Camp Rock and then once Camp Rock came out. Um, and yeah, it was, it truly went from like being a very normal kid. I mean, I say normal, what's well, normal um, at, to walking through the malls, being mobbed, um, people dedicating YouTube videos, loads of fan mail, like all sorts of quite um, wacky things began to happen at that point. So you talked a little bit about when you were 13 in that apartment with your mum in LA and you started to get work, but there was a real transition point where your life changed and, you know, going around your daily life was, was different. Paint a picture of, of what your daily life looked like when you were in that space. Um, oh, I think there was a lot of inconsistency, but generally I was, I was wildly busy, like to the point where, um, recently I've been trolling through my own old emails, which has been a very interesting experience. And, um, I had, I had day sheets sent to me by my management company and it would be like, you're getting a haircut at this time. You have to be at this fashion show on this night and you have these PR events and the cars coming to pick you up at 4am. And, you know, it was like, if I wasn't filming, if I wasn't actively filming something, then that's sort of what the in-between time looked like. And when I was filming, um, I mean, it, in the very beginning, the hours were pretty reasonable because I was a child and child labor laws. Um, I think you can only work like eight hours a day or something. Um, but then as I got older and graduated high school, um, the hours were pretty intense. Those would be like 12 hour days, 13 hour days starting at about 5 a.m. Um, so I, I would say it was not exactly your normal childhood <laughs> schedule. Um, and yeah, a lot of interacting with adults, business meeting, dinners, stuff like that. But yeah, all began happening at about 15 meetings with teams, PR teams, agencies, all of that um, from a very young age. That's really interesting. And, and so, you know, your experience of things like school, was that normal or did, were you schooled in a different way? Very much not normal. Um, so my mom is a teacher, actually, and my dad um, is a doctor. So education was like very important uh, in my household. My sister is a doctor as well. Um, and I began homeschooling. Um, I did like an online school program and this was in the days of like before it was normal to do online school. So, cause this was like, yeah, 15 years ago. 
And um, it was really hard. It was really hard. And uh, when we were filming the first Camp Rock movie, I didn't have very good internet access because we were filming in like a relatively remote part of Canada. And you have to go to school for three hours a day on set. That's the union rule as a child. Um, so in my three hours, like I would spend most of it trying to get the internet to work. And then I'd be called to set and then I'd go back and try and get the internet to work. And I ended up um, failing a chemistry class. And it was like the most heartbreaking thing that's ever happened to me. I just remember sobbing uncontrollably because I was a really good student like very much like a uh, type A personality student. And it was devastating to me that I had failed a class. <laughs> I mean, now I look back on that and I'm like, oh, you're ridiculous. It doesn't, high school chemistry does not matter when you are pursuing acting. <laughs> but um, it was, yeah, it, it was the re what it represented to me. <laughs> That's really interesting. And when you started to get into this very intense world and, you know, long hours and meetings with adults, all of that, how did you feel about that? Did you, did you love it? Was it just like a, a thing that was carrying you forward and you weren't thinking too much about it? How did you feel? I think I felt quite normal and neutral about it. I loved acting and I understood that this was sort of part of it. This was what you did, if you want, if you want to be an actor, then you live life like this. And I think it made me um, sort of uh, adultify myself very quickly at a very young age. It was like, um, yeah, keeping I mean, also keeping track of finances and all these other things that come along with working professionally as a child. Um, it, yeah, but I it never like scared me i had friends who were also in the entertainment industry who who hated those kind that side of things they um found it really difficult and painful and they wouldn't show up to the meetings and all those kinds of things but it never really affected me outwardly i'm sure it did inwardly but yeah i i it didn't scare me but it also didn't challenge it, like i didn't find it an exciting challenge either it was just sort of you have to do it that's really interesting and I, and I think in the UK, uh, when a lot of people think about, you know, young actors coming through, through the years when they're at school, a lot of people think of Harry Potter, actually, because they, yeah. they saw the children in Harry Potter all growing up from, you know, from movie to movie through that whole sequence. Um, and obviously in the Disney world, you had similarly a group of people coming through together. So did, did you feel part of a, a group of kids that were all growing up through this journey or did you feel quite separate in, in your own journey? It, I felt, I do feel lucky that it was, um, I always said we went to Disney Channel High School because we were, that was my high school. Those weren't, that was my peer group was the Disney Channel actors. And um, we, you know, would work together. We would go to ev events together. Um, that's, everybody dated each other. Like it, we all just sort of became this like, <laughs> This yeah, like a high school group, really. And um, I think that that and also I ended up becoming friends with like one of my current best friends. Um, she was also a child actor, but she didn't work for Disney. Uh, we just met in an acting class and had a lot in common. And I look at her and I think at times it was probably challenging for her because she was generally on like adult shows. She was on like Dexter on HBO and without a trace and like those types of shows where she was the only kid in the episode. And that that would have been a very different experience. I was lucky to be surrounded by teens. And so what was the point where how you felt about this journey started to change for you? Um. <laughs> That is a very good question. I think that it, I think there's, there's two answers. It consciously changed for me um, only fairly recently. I'd say in like 2020, basically, um, like being like being alone with my thoughts in lockdown for <laughs> many, many hours. And, um, and uh, yeah, and like going through therapy and sort of realizing what kind of effect uh, all of my life experiences um, were having on me. That That's when that happened. But I would say subconsciously um, around sort of age 19, I was working a lot less. I knew I didn't really want to do Disney 
channel work anymore. I had done a bit of it. Um, I had done quite a bit of it at that point, and I was sort of interested in new things. And I had visited London and thought about applying to drama schools and um, was getting really interested in theater. And uh, so all these sort of things that like were pulling me away from that that beginning or that that uh, layer of my career. Um, and I don't I don't think I quite I quite understood the like psychological implications of wanting to get away from it at that point. But um, but I wanted something new. And come back a little way. So so you talked about, you know, we, we talked in the introduction about that Instagram post and, and you posted a picture of you on on a film set and you started to talk about, you know, recognizing the challenges of that environment. And and that was in the context of filming the Camp Rock 2 film. So tell a bit of the story of, of your experience there and how that started to shift your own thinking. Yeah. Um I was 17 when we filmed Camp Rock 2, and I was on uh, the the TV series 10 Things I Hate About You at the same time. Um, and 17, 18 was quite a mad time in that I basically had no time off of working. I was I worked nonstop pretty much for just about two years um, between the series and that film and then Mean Girls 2, another film that I did. And um, in that time, I was sort of, um, I don't know, I guess, again, it's interesting that it happened at 18, because uh, that is, again, quite a pivotal, it's funny that these pivotal moments seem to happen at ages that like, most people have their pivotal moments anyway. But um, I, I started to begin to think about like, what it meant to be an actor, and what it meant for me to be an actor, and what kind of an actor I wanted to be, and all these types of things. And we were, um, I I was having a difficult time with the network executives at Disney Channel because they had um, had me in the mix for quite a few TV shows, for lead roles on TV shows, but they hadn't offered them to me. I was uh, doing this thing called testing, which a lot of people outside of the entertainment industry don't know much about I'm sure you know about testing and you basically have to sign a contract in your life away before they even offer you the role so I did that about oh gosh I don't know three times for Disney Channel and didn't get the part each time and they kept saying oh next time next time next time and then 10 things came along and I got that and I was really excited about the creators and the script and all of that and uh, when Disney Channel found out that I was doing 10 things, they were mad at me. I hadn't violated any contracts or anything, but they were upset that I hadn't just waited around for them to find the right project for me. And um, essentially, I was told that that would mean that I was going to be written out of Camp Rock 2. I had already signed a contract back in the back in the days of the first one we'd already signed on for the second one um it was a two picture deal as they say um and i wasn't to be honest with you i was not that sad about being told i was going to be written out of the second one i was like all right i mean if that's what you want to do then that's fine i want to do this tv show and um basically instead of writing me out they sort of arguably gave me a more frustrating plot line than um than would have made sense with the with the story and i was because my character ends up at a different summer camp than the other characters um and so i was told i had to stay in canada for however long it was two months and that i couldn't go back home i and but i only filmed for like 10 days so, so just sitting on a shelf, basically. Um, and I contracted mononucleosis or glandular fever at the same time. And I was very, very, very ill. I could hardly keep my eyes open. My face was so swollen. The makeup artist was like trying to make it look normal every day. Um, and I, and also simultaneously Toronto was having like the coldest autumn it had had in like 30 years. And because we're filming a summer camp movie, we're outside in summer clothing all day, every day. And, um, I was miserable. I was cold. I was 
ill. I was told that I didn't matter and that I could have been written out. And um, I ended up having a really difficult time with the director of the film. He uh, said some really quite hurtful and abusive things to me in front of the entire cast and crew on day one. Um, And I, yeah, I think like it took me a long time to realize that that's not acceptable. <laughs> like the, all of those things, like the fact, and then I, and then I just, as I like recount all that, I go, and I was 17. I was a child, I was a literal child and they, they didn't give me time off. I would, they sent me to a doctor. I was diagnosed with glandular fever. I wasn't given any time off. I was told, well, you got to work through it. And yeah, I think it just, the more and more I reflect on it, the more I'm like, I feel quite sort of maternal towards myself. And I'm like, why, why did all these adults, these 50 year old men, directors, network executives, uh, why did they think that was an acceptable choice? And, and then why was I also told that I was uh, an inconvenience or whatever throughout that whole process? Um, And yeah, the picture that I posted on Instagram was me asleep on a sofa in in between dance rehearsals because I was so ill I couldn't keep my eyes open there's I've got like a whole collection of photos of me asleep from filming (laughs) and I'm not like I don't I'm gonna I don't just fall asleep everywhere (laughs) I mean it's interesting when you're when you're reflecting there that power dynamic um and I've you know I've, I've seen it in the dance world a lot where you know, the professionals, the coaches, the judges are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, and they're judging young dancers who have grown up in an environment where from almost before they can remember, they've been told where to go, how to look, how to smile, how to stand. And it does create a certain strange dynamic that there are a lot of people who go along with it for a long time because it's just that's how it's always been you know you 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 started on this journey at the age of 13 and you're gradually growing up and finding your you know your inner confidence and agency and power but it takes something to realize that that you don't have to be in that power dynamic anymore does that resonate absolutely yeah absolutely it's Yeah, it's sort of brainwashing, isn't it? If you've spent every day being told that these are the people with the power, these are the people who you need to listen to, don't upset them, don't do anything wrong, then you you go along with it, and and your your threshold for pain gets higher and higher and higher. You're you're so used to it that like it doesn't even occur to you that there's something fundamentally wrong happening, and it's only one all of these child actors recently started speaking out um, that I sort of was like, wow, you're right. It's pretty messed up. It'd be messed up if they treated me like that now. If if the director was, you know, calling me stupid and shouting at me now, I would be upset about it. But I'm even more upset about it when it's a teenager or a child. Do you remember a specific moment where you thought for the first time, hang on, this is not okay. I think sadly, it never happened in, in the, in situ. It never happened while the um, mistreatment or abuse was happening. It took me truly years because I was so convinced that it was worth it or necessary or, um, yeah, it's how, and I think there's a lot of that in the entertainment industry as well, where like, um, you know, the temperamental genius. So, so people get away with a lot more mistreatment because it's like, oh, but he's a genius. Well, who cares? He can't treat everybody terribly. <laughs> and when we talked before, we talked about um, the fact that for you, you know, you you had those challenges, but you've you've come through that now the other side and 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 moved here to the UK and, and, and so on and so forth. And there's many other people that you grew up with who have had a more challenging journey after those times. And how do you reflect back on, on that, the people that you knew, the people that you know now, you know, that, that you're on that journey with and, and the struggles that some of them have had over the years? Yeah, it's really difficult because I think 
there's an element of like uh disassociation almost where like I that part of my life feels so far from who I am now and I will read stories about people that I knew very well and who were close friends of mine who I you know haven't spoken to for years but who are struggling with addiction and have experiences with overdose and all of that and it's heartbreaking it's really sad and I think regardless of what my experience is of that person, because sometimes they were friends, sometimes they were, you know, whatever you, whatever you have as a teenager, a frenemy or like someone that you don't actually get along with very well, you know, but it does, but regardless of my experience with them, they don't, nobody deserves to be reaching a point where they, you know, they feel like they have to escape life through drugs and addiction and all of that. And, and it's, you know, I, it's, a disease and what really breaks my heart is i was watching um demi lovato's documentary um recently i it, i think it came out like a few years ago but in it they talk about um how when demi overdosed the the team around them was like so concerned about not having the sirens on the ambulance go off because they didn't want the paparazzi alerted or something like that or whatever they didn't want like tmz to know or something and that really really hit me emotionally i was like jesus christ someone has just overdosed on drugs and your thought is don't let don't turn the siren on like no their thought your thought should be whatever gets them to safety the fastest is the only thing that matters not not who knows but uh, of course it's convoluted because you can blame the paparazzi for that as well but i it's it's hard it's yeah it's a, it's a hard it's hard to think about it all because my brain just spirals <laughs> it's a great example of of that it can become a very twisted up world with all of those things going on and as you say you know you, you're on the outside looking in to some extent now with with the benefit of hindsight and sitting there going that is not normal that is from the outside in very clearly not normal but within that tornado people aren't necessarily seeing it for what it is at that time um and now obviously you know over the last few years with me too and all of these kinds of things it's starting to shine a light on some of these things and saying that's not okay. And it's not just in the acting industry, it's in gymnastics, and it's in swimming, and it's in many, many sports. It was in the dance world as well, you know, when, when, when we were coming through in, in our professional dance careers, that, that things are starting to be highlighted more as that is not okay, when 10 years ago, 20 years ago, certainly 30 years ago, it was quite normal. And I, and I don't think it's fixed yet, but, but it's better than it was. Yeah, definitely. I hope I hope it is. I can yeah, I I hope that any children that are working today have um better access to mental health help. And so for you as you came out of that experience and you came to this sort of pivotal time 1920 time, how did your thinking start to change in terms of your sense of purpose and what you wanted to do with the next part of your career? Well, I think for me, it reached a point where I just didn't feel like an actor. Like I didn't feel, I was working as an actor, but I didn't feel like an actor. And I have always been a bit of like, um, I've always been a little bit eccentric as a creative. Like I am, I, I like, I like the playfulness of acting. That's one of the things that uh, attracts me the most to it and I think that in film and television it's easy to get stuck in the like day in day out it, things are worth a lot of money time is money <laughs> go 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 kind of mentality and um I had to sort of revitalize that and I needed a fresh start I needed to get away from being identified as the Disney Channel girl like i i reached a point to where i was auditioning for things in la and the casting directors would be like oh you're too um you're too young to play 20 or you look too young to play 20 
and um but we know that you're 22 so you're too you're too old to play 15 but you're too young to play 20 like they just i i was like in this limbo of like they the jig was up they knew me i wasn't fresh i wasn't interesting anymore <laughs> i was old news <laughs> i like On i just say that i was <laughs> I truly like like uh, I'm like a 45 year old like at 20 I was like a 45 year old like bitter actress like with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth like God when I was a beautiful star like truly that's the level I was at and uh, I think I I just had to get away from that because it's not just because you've been in the industry for you know at, I guess at that point about 10 years doesn't mean that you're not still able to be the fresh faced whatever so i um i thought training made the most sense for me because i had never trained and i knew that if i ever wanted to do theater that was going to give me the best setup to have the sustainability to do eight shows a week and um and i'd always loved theater when i'd done it uh at home like just casually with uh community groups and plays had had been like my first love so I don't I don't know it sounds crazy I basically was just like well I'm gonna move to London now <laughs> like truly insane and people ask me all the time why did you do that and I'm like I mean my therapist would tell you one thing and I would tell you something else <laughs> can I ask you what your therapist would say <laughs> oh yeah my therapist okay. would be she was like for sure you moved here to escape everything like you this was your this was your escape you ran away you ran away from home and i i'm sure that's true um but it didn't i didn't have the sort of wherewithal to see that at the time it just felt like the next great adventure interesting well i i think you came to the greatest city in the world so that's just that's just the way I see it. Yeah, I agree. There you go. I there. agree. <laughs> and, and your connection to London, your connection to the UK before you came? Um, so I, it was pretty loose generally. I mean, I was dating my husband, so like I, he did exist and we were dating. But, um, but I, I will adamantly say I did not move here for him because that's the one that people like to throw around. Uh, my parents in particular, when I first moved, they're like, I can't believe you would move for a boy. <laughs> um, but I had visited a couple of times beforehand and I, I was an Anglophile growing up. I mean, I loved Harry Potter and Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland. Like those were all my favorite things in childhood. Um, and it's just, it's a great city because it's got incredible theater, incredible history, and like basically anything you want in the world is here in London. Like you don't need to, like, it just, it, it holds everything. And the creative culture was not like anything I'd experienced before. And I still maintain that to this day, like auditioning in London versus auditioning in LA is completely different. Um, people actually look at you in London. <laughs> Eye contact. Imagine that. <laughs> and were you anonymous when you came or were there people who knew who you were from the stuff you'd done in the US? That's actually a really good point. I think that's part of what I liked about London as I was relatively anonymous. Um, I mean, occasionally people still now will come up and say something, but it's also a different energy too, I would say. When people come up here, it's like they're used to it because, you know, I don't know. Well, okay, but they should be used to it in LA. I was gonna say like loads of famous people live in London, but still in LA, the energy is just, it's a different energy when you get recognized in LA. It's like a, there's a desperation to LA. <laughs> and this is something about the particular demographic of the people who know you from the Disney movies that the way they respond to meeting their idol in the streets is a certain i'm only imagining this but i'm yeah. imagining there's a certain energy to it there is there's definitely a certain energy to it we, we've worked uh, i mean my wife's worked quite a lot with strictly come dancing here and here in the uk us will notice dancing with the stars and there's a thing there where there is a level of of, of obsession to the fandom there's a level of of excitement people will queue overnight to see a TV show, and and there's just it's just on a different level from anything else, and that that's quite interesting to see actually. Yeah, that's very similar to the Disney Channel 
fandom. I mean, you get it like with the Jonas Brothers still to this day. It was it was crazy when we were filming the Camp Rock movies. They would have to like change hotels weekly because otherwise people would find out what hotel they were in and hang out in the lobby. It was a lot. It was a lot. Um, so you show up to acting training with these years of of experience of acting and the roles you've played, the movies <laughs> you've been in. And what did that feel like on day one of of acting school? Did you feel like, wow, I should have known this stuff a long time ago? Or you know, what did it feel like? Um, I mean, I think I knew what uh, what I wanted and and what I needed as well. I think like. No, it didn't, nothing surprised me, uh, so to speak, but it was exactly what I wanted. Like it was playfulness. It was time to, uh, you know, be the male romantic lead in the classical Spanish play. Like when do you, when else are you going to do that except in drama school? Um, and I think that's that was exactly what I what I was looking for in that moment. I, I think it was more weird for the people around me. I even had some tutors who were kind of like, "Why are you here? Like, I don't not that not that you don't need the training because you do, but why are you here? Um, what like what are you trying to gain from this?" Um, and it, but it was good because it forced me to interrogate myself like why am I here what do I want and I had one instructor who was like do you actually like acting or have you just been doing it your whole life and you don't know what else to do and that's you know yeah that cuts deep and what's the answer to that question absolutely I love it more than anything in the world (laughs) it's my it's my absolute favorite thing like I every time I get to do it I'm surprised by how much I love it (laughs) And do you think of the acting you did in the US pre-20 and the acting that you've done in, you know, principally in the UK post-20 as the same kind of thing? Or, or does it feel like two different actings, as it were? Yeah, very much two different kinds of acting. Um, I, oh, I mean, I would barely classify what I did pre-20 as acting. <laughs> I think it was sort of like, you know, very a very childish version of acting with no technique or actual approach behind it and then but with it but with an enthusiasm and um and an appreciation but i think now it's just wildly different and as you started to explore all of the different types of role and genre and all of the things that you get exposed to in acting school and then in in, in the work that you started to do what what hooked you? What did you really get into that were things that you mm. hadn't done before? I mean, I desperately love Shakespeare um, and classical text. I don't think anyone in England will ever let me professionally do it because I'm American. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, but I that's that's like to me, it just satiates the nerd sort of academic side of acting so perfectly. Um, but also I love it. I love everything. Like I'm not, I'm not picky when it comes to opportunities. I've done recently, mostly I've done like contemporary dramas and those have been really good fun, but I also love comedy. And I think, yeah, the beauty of drama school is you get to sort of do it all and find yourself within each genre. And talk to me about this recent play that you did, Smoke, with your husband. Yes, yeah, because <laughs> we're crazy. Um, <laughs> we did this um, modern adaptation of Miss Julie, August Strindberg's Miss Julie, set at a 2012 BDSM party in New York City. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's not every day that you... Uh, <laughs> or for us, it was every day for one month um, that you end up pretending to be uh, assaulted by your husband at a BDSM party, <laughs> playing pretend. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it's an incredible piece of work. I mean, Kim Davis, the writer, is brilliant. And she came over for the last week of shows. And um, it's really powerful. It's not an easy watch. It's a very difficult watch um, about assault and abuse 
particularly within the BDSM community. And I think that also was like an interesting moment for me because as I was researching for the character and sort of putting myself in the mindset of the character, it was reminding me of, of the times when I was on sets or in situations with um, a completely imbalanced power dynamic. It's interesting. And, and I know earlier when you were talking about it, you used the word abuse, which is quite a particular word when you were talking about your experience. And, you know, now you're talking about, you know, being, being in a play that is very specifically about some of those kind of dynamics. And has that impacted the way you reflect back on your experiences growing up? Absolutely. Did I cry in front of a class of NYU students talking about the play? Yes, I did. Um, it's yeah, it really, really impacted my my recent reflection. Um, I think because especially the, the play was set in 2012 and the character was 20 years old and I was 20 years old in 2012. So it was um, really putting my brain back into that body and what that person was going through and had gone through and had gone through far more recently than this person has. Um, and it, it really just, when it, the, what happened with the NYU student was um, there's an NYU London campus and they had come to see the show and we went and had a chat with them afterwards, did a Q&A and one of the students asked um, what we learned from playing these characters. Uh, what we felt like we could take away. And I sort of ended up having a lot of word vomit about it because I hadn't thought I hadn't thought that hard about it. And um, then it occurred to me that playing that part in that show was sort of an homage to young Megan. I was closing a chapter on my life where I thought I was a more powerful version of myself than I was. And because of that, I couldn't admit to being, you know, taken advantage of, not in the same way as my character. I mean, it's it's a very different version of events than my character, but still the same emotional response, I think, if that makes any sense. You thought you were a more powerful person than you were. That's, that's yeah. really interesting things to say. I think it happens a lot with teenagers, you know, they, we think we're untouchable as a teenager and it's only when the pain happens that you realize you're not. You're in this play about, you know, very challenging interpersonal dynamics and you're playing opposite your husband. Was that, was that hard to compartmentalize between in the theater and outside the theater? in a normal circumstance you'd be doing that with another actor and you kind of see you tomorrow at five o'clock when we show up to the theater kind of thing <laughs> it was actually really easy and i don't know if that's like a good or bad thing <laughs> um it was it was lovely i i really enjoyed working together and i hope that we get to do it again because to do a show with such a challenging subject matter requires having uh, a huge amount of trust, especially because it was a two-hander. It was only the two of us on stage and we both were on stage for the entirety of the show. So that's, you know, 65 minutes with someone else. And if it had been someone I didn't know very well, I don't think I would have been able to sort of go to the places that I was able to go to. But I knew, I knew no matter what, Ollie had my back. At, like on that stage if if I dried and forgot my lines if I moved to the wrong place we were rolling around in a sand pit and I was like if sand gets in my eye if whatever happens like he is there for me and I you I think you could have that amount of trust with any actor it doesn't have to be your partner but it takes a long time to have that trust and so we sort of went in to the rehearsal room already steps ahead the word that's come to mind as I'm thinking about the journey you've been on is resilience. And people experienced resilience in a different, different ways, different things that make people resilient. For you, what do you think things that have helped you to be resilient through this journey that you've been on? Um, that's a very good question. I mean, I think family and friends is always helpful, having people to talk to. Um, 
I think, <laughs> I don't know why my first instinct is to be like blind optimism. <laughs> That's a driver of resilience for sure. <laughs> I think that there is a bit of me that just like wants to see the best in everything and that's that is what keeps me going in a lot of ways it's like it will get better it will get better and um something something will happen i know and sometimes that's a toxic trait and sometimes it's a really useful trait and i think um ha again having the support of friends and family to let you to help you negotiate when that's toxic and when it's helpful is um really been my my uh golden ticket when I when I hear you describe that, I mean, positive positivity, positive reframing, is a really powerful thing. What you've then also done is then taken the matter into your own hands, and you've made intentional choices that have placed you in an environment around people now that that spark joy in 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 what you do. If if you could take yourself back in time to meet the sixteen year old Megan, and say something in her ear to help her on the journey of the next few years that she's going to be on, what, what would you say to her? I think um, the most important thing to tell her would be to believe in herself, um, certainly more than she does, and more than she even thinks she needs to, but um, to, to try not to lose the self-worth and to not let anyone take away that self-worth. But um, I don't think she would listen to me. I know she, for a fact, actually, I know she would not listen to me. She would ignore me, <laughs> but I would tell her anyway. <laughs> and I think there is something in that, that you've got to be ready to hear it. And when you're ready, it lands. Yes. Yes. That it is lands. so true. <laughs> I've really appreciated you telling your story. Um, and thank you so much for, for coming on and, and being so open. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For theatre, TV and film actor Megan Martin, it was taking her career into her own hands at the age of 20 that brought her here to the UK and to the empowerment and sense of purpose that shines through in her extraordinary work as a theatre actor. Megan, it's been a real pleasure, and I know my listeners will appreciate how you've shared your story with such honesty and vulnerability. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. Thank you for having me, Gary. I really appreciate it. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.